Hey, Keto Freaks. In case you haven't heard, Richard Morris and I are turning the entire town of New London, Connecticut, ketogenic in July 2017. Keto Fest isn't a conference. Conferences are for professionals. Festivals are for people. We will have some great speakers, yes, but also a pig roast, music, movies, cooking lessons, fitness lessons, bike tours, walking tours, and a whole lot of camaraderie among fellow Ketonians. Richard and I will both be there, as will many of our podcast guests and Facebook group admins. There's so much going on, I don't have time to tell you here. So go to ketofest.com and add your name to the mailing list so you'll know where to go and when in order to get your tickets. KetoFest, real keto for real people. Welcome back to Two Keto Dudes. This is Carl Franklin from Connecticut in the United States. And in February of 2016, I put myself on a ketogenic diet to take control of my metabolism. In just two and a half months, I managed to reverse all my markers of type 2 diabetes with diet alone. As of now, I'm 70-ish pounds lighter with no signs of diabetes or heart disease. Hi, I'm Richard Morris in Canberra, Australia. I've been on a ketogenic diet for over two years. When I started, I was very sick with complications from type 2 diabetes. Within six months of starting a ketogenic diet, all of my biomarkers of disease had disappeared. I've also lost about 70 pounds, and I've completely turned my health around. So this show is a document of my progress through ketosis and Richard's experience thriving for years in ketosis. Yeah. And hopefully that might help a few people who are curious about this kind of dietary hacking. Yeah, we're not doctors. We don't want to give anyone any medical advice, but we are keen to share our own experiences. We're actually both software developers, so we're not afraid of a little technical detail, are we, Carl? Nah. We have done some research into our own deranged metabolisms and the science behind them. We hope to share some of that research. Where possible, we intend to put links in the show notes to cite the research supporting any claims that we make. And you'll probably work out pretty quickly that we're both foodies. Yeah. We love to cook and we love to eat. So we share the great food that we can eat on this diet. And every episode, each of us share an essential keto recipe for your perusal. We sure do. Yeah. So let's start podcast episode number 30, The Fathead Show. What'd you call me? <laughs> I didn't call you a fathead. <laughs> fathead. <laughs> All right, fathead. That's a term of honor, yeah, actually, around is. here. Well, Richard, do we have any corrections or apologies from last week? No, I think we're good. Ted didn't get anything wrong last week, so I think we've got no errata. <laughs> <laughs> How are you doing this week? Yeah, I'm doing well. I went on, I did some superhuman activity last week. I didn't eat from Sunday to Sunday. Crazy. And so seven days without any food at all. Um, I did drink uh, salty water and a bit of broth once a night, but other than that, didn't eat anything for seven days. Okay. And at the end of that seven days, before I had food, I went cycling around Canberra three and a half times, which is about 100K. Wow. So I did a 100K bike ride and uh, I, I felt wonderful. I felt great. And at the end of that, I ate some Wagyu steak. <laughs> so, uh, no, I, I feel awesome. I lost in the week of not eating, um, I lost about 10 pounds, about five kilograms. Yeah. And I re- in the four days since, I've retraced – uh, about half of that back again. So I've, I've yeah. lost 10 and got, and got back five. So, um, which is about right. I yeah. should, I should be losing about half a pound a day. And so seven days. So yeah, that's what happened to me when I went on my long fast too. Yeah. Lost 10 pounds, five of it came back. But I think that's what, uh, Fung says happens, yeah. right? Didn't Jason Fung say about, Half of that will come back as water weight. Yeah, pretty much. I'm so that was an experiment for me doing seven days. Uh, I don't necessarily. I, I probably will at least do three days in a month's time. So every mm. month I'll do at least three days. I've been sort of mulling it, mulling up whether maybe I might do five days. It seemed to be that that uh, I definitely 
there was definitely an advantage for me after three days and probably up until five days. And then between five days and seven days, I didn't seem to really get much of an advantage other than my ketones started mm. really going high. But other than that, you know, I I, uh, I reckon five days is probably ideal for me and at least three days. Okay. Very good. So that was that was my week. So how was yours? Pretty good. I think I made a discovery about myself this week, Richard. Oh, yeah? What's that? I think the wine is keeping me at a plateaued weight. Mm, interesting. It's just it's just a theory, but I'm currently testing it. Mm. And so far, it seems to be holding up. When I would drink wine at night, usually the next day I would see weight loss, but there may have been a delayed reaction, you know, that sort of just kept me in uh, stasis, even yeah. though, uh, and it didn't make any sense why the weight was coming back on when it came off first. Okay. Uh, so I think it's just a timing thing, and I was misinterpreting my results. But I'm testing the theory, and you know, I never really drank a lot of wine. Sure. But you know, there were some nights that I did, but most nights it was just a couple of glasses. So I'm going to do an experiment now, and I'm just cutting it and seeing if there's any particular change. I'm also doing something else, which I'll talk about uh, in the mail segment. Okay. Awesome. So let's reprise. What is the ketogenic diet? Well, ketogenic diet is less than 20 carbs, protein for maintenance and energy from fat. That's probably the simplest way to explain it. It sure is. I had, um, an interesting, uh, interaction with a friend of mine who is a type two diabetic and taking insulin and I won't say very obese, but he's definitely overweight and he's on his way to neuropathy and losing limbs and all that stuff. And, uh, you know, very out of shape, very horrible, isn't it? Very lethargic and all of that stuff. And uh, I invited him over. This was months ago. I invited him over for lunch and uh, made him a, you know, a bacon burger on Oopsie Bread. And we had some cheese crisps and some leftover fatted pizza. Mm, And he really loved it. But uh, he wasn't at all into cooking. He's like a fast food junkie, and he doesn't have the gumption or the time to cook and just couldn't be bothered. So I came up with this diet plan, and I hate to say it's a diet plan because I don't, you know, I'm not a nutritionist. I'm not a doctor. I'm a programmer who's had some experience with low-carbing, and I know what works and what doesn't for me. But still, all these people seem to be looking at my results and saying, wow, that's awesome. What do I eat to do what you did, right? Right. That they don't want to know the science. They don't want to cook. They don't, you know, that's too much thought. They want some keto coaching and it's not something really that we uh, have the time to, to do. Yeah, that's right. Nor, nor the will, really. I mean, keto coaching is a whole thing in and of itself. And yeah. so I did put up a blog post, however, that, you know, if you are – obese, metabolic syndrome, type 2 diabetic, you know, first thing you should do is consult your doctor and see if it's okay for you to go on a ketogenic diet. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Some doctors will get it. Others won't. But you may be one of these very few people in the world who can't metabolize fats. Sure. And uh, there, there are some people, especially people with gallbladder issues. Yeah. So you do need to check with your doctor about that. And then if, if your doc gives you the green light then I have a ketogenic diet plan that's based on McDonald's and (laughs) eating out. (laughs) It's not a great ketogenic diet plan, but it does the job. No. Mm. Well, and, you know, the key is to get people started. Yeah. You know, get them a taste of what having no hunger is like. Get them a taste of what it feels like to produce ketones and to have energy and to to get that feeling. Mm. And just a feeling of control. And while you're right, it's not the best diet because, you know, we're using Mahler's low-carb bread for toast and you go to McDonald's and you get eggs and cheese and bacon and whatever from them, which has God knows what in it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) And you go out to dinner every night and, uh, yeah. So, But the idea, again, is to get people into it. And this might be an easy way for people to, to... dip their toes in the water and see if it's for them. So we'll link to that blog post. Yeah. I think that the ketogenic diet tends to push a bunch of people away. It tends to push away people who don't like the idea of cooking. Yeah. It also tends to push away people who 
are very ingrained with the old um, food pyramid model. Right. And I think for them, it's best to to explain the diet as one of of high nutritional density. Mm. So uh, eating vegetables that have a high nutritional density and avoiding vegetables that don't. So vegetables that don't would be potatoes and uh, um, anything uh, gourds, any uh, rice, uh, yeah, rice, sweet potatoes, yeah, yeah. Or grains, any of the grains as well, and focusing on things like uh, uh, cauliflower and ca- and cabbage and. Um, Spinach, particularly spinach, is extremely, extremely dense in nutrition. So mm. um, I think that works actually. It works well for those people, and also when you're talking about uh, uh, fats and meats, you 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 can focus on those that have high nutritional density. Mm-hmm. So it's more of a politically correct way to talk about a ketogenic diet. So you're yeah. not talking to a dietitian and 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 telling them that you eat bacon all the time right, <laughs> and, right. And, and setting their hair on fire you're telling them that you're eating nutritionally dense food and they're going to be nodding and sagely and and agreeing with everything everything that you're saying so yeah. um uh, so that so I think for, I think for 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 those people uh, nutritional density is is very similar to the idea of having a McDonald's only ketogenic diet you know it 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 is a way to get to get into it it is a bit vague though and also if I I find if people don't know at least the basics of what to eat and what not to eat specifically like you know fruit is off the table yeah. although you could say some fruit is nutritionally dense mm. the fact that it has fructose in it. Uh, you can't eat it. Right. So I find that some level of education is really a good idea, yeah. but it's just finding the right explanation that makes the light bulb go off that doesn't isn't too technical. Yeah. And I found that this week, okay. and I know that you've you've seen this before. Yeah. Uh, Doctor Robert Lustig, who is the you know the anti sugar guy. Five million views. Oh yeah, yeah. he did this uh, series of short subject-based uh, video interviews okay. with graphics and explanations um, that talk about you know nutrition mm. and health. And one of them is an eight-minute long piece that's all about the vicious cycle of uh, metabolic syndrome, diabetes, insulin, leptin, hunger, and uh, behavior. And he sums it up in eight minutes. And And we're going to link to this so that you can show this to people and the light bulb goes off. It's amazing. And when I saw this, Richard, the light bulb went off for me too. Like I knew all of this stuff, Mm. but seeing it in a, in a series of events and then this happens and then this happens and that happens just brings it all into sharp focus. So what he says is that in the last several years, what's changed is science. Science has caught up to the anecdotal evidence of say Dr. Atkins having 10,000 patients who he, you know, anecdotally claimed to have cured from diabetes, but never did any right. studies. And all the cardiologists disagreed with him just because he rubbed them the wrong way. Correct. And so now we have proof. We have proof that the ketogenic diet is safe and effective. Sure do. But there's also been research into hormones. And one hormone that was recently discovered is leptin. Mm. Uh, which Ted spoke about last week. Yeah. yeah, that's exactly right. Leptin's job is to, and it's in fat cells, is to tell your brain when you've had enough, right. when you're full. And you th- might think to yourself, well, that's odd because, you know, all my years of eating the standard diet, mm. I haven't had that signal before. <laughs> well, guess what? Yeah. Insulin's job is to shunt f- sugar into fat. Right. That's its job. Yeah. It takes sugar out of your bloodstream, it converts it to fat, so it's not in your bloodstream. I mean, the sugar has to go somewhere. Right. Can't hang around right? in the bloodstream. It's bad for you there. Right. You certainly don't pee it away. Mm. Well, you pee a little bit away, but your kidneys take a little bit out, but there's only so much. much they can take yeah. out. Yeah. But that's insulin's miracle job is to get it out of your bloodstream and store it as fat where it's safe. Yeah. Exactly. Believe it or not, yeah. it's not safe as sugar in your bloodstream, but it is safer in your fat cells. And it stores it as animal saturated fat because we're animals. Saturated fat. <laughs> yeah. Safest, right. safest possible way to store it. Right. So here's what happens, and this is the this is the explanation. Mm. He says, "Now let's take a healthy, normal person who doesn't have metabolic syndrome. Right. They eat two thousand calories a day." They burn 2,000 calories a day. Nice. 
homeostasis. Mm-hmm. Everything works. You you want to burn. You feel good when you're burning calories. Yeah. Burning calories and feeling good are synonymous. Mm-hmm. So you feel good. Mm-hmm. You you exercise and you eat just enough and you burn just enough and everything's fine. Now, he says, I'm going to hypothetically walk around with you and I'm going to stick an IV of insulin in your wrist and tape it down. And every time you reach for food, I'm going to shoot you full of extra insulin, just like we do to type 2 diabetics. Okay. All right. So you eat 2,000 calories of food right off the top. 500 of those calories turn to fat because the insulin. Mm. It's like the IRS taking 25% <laughs> right off the top. Right. You don't get a chance to spend it. In this case, you don't get a chance to burn it. Yeah. So now you've got 1,500 calories. That's right. Now you've only got 1,500 calories because, and, and 500 calories of stored fat. Mm. So you're actually hungry and lethargic. You don't have enough energy. You're starving. You're 500 short. Yeah. You're 500 short. So what do you do? You eat some more. Mm. And maybe you eat another 500 calories because that's what your body wants yep. to feel good. Guess what? You're still insulin high. <laughs> so 100 of those calories get shunted right to fat. So now you got 600 calories of fat stored yeah. and you still don't feel 100%. Yeah. So you might do it one more time. Right. Now, leptin. Right. Why isn't leptin working? Mm-hmm. Why isn't leptin working? It turns out insulin blocks leptin. Of course. <laughs> of course. So the leptin is trying to say, hey, brain, yeah. I'm full here. Yeah. But your brain doesn't hear it because your insulin's too high. And and then he says, well, okay, that's all well and fine, but nobody's walking around with an insulin pump pumping me full of insulin. Ah, he says. Yes, they are. Really? <laughs> <laughs> Except it's not anybody else that's doing it. Your body is making it. Your pancreas is making it due to the extra sugar in your blood from the standard American industrialized diet. diet. Yeah. yeah. Incredible. So there you go. That's the whole cycle right there of disease and, and uh, hunger and metabolic syndrome. And that's why it just spirals out of control. And the obvious antidote is lower the insulin. Insulin's job is to take blood sugar and turn it into fat. That's what it does. So if you don't have blood sugar, you don't have insulin. Its other job is to tell leptin, la, 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 I can't hear you. Yeah. <laughs> and a bazillion other things too. It's like the master hormone. Yeah. Yep. So I this this fully explains the question that I had for my doctor, uh, not my current doctor, but my previous doctor, maybe six years ago. I went into his surgery and I said, um, "I've got a problem. I I I have physically filled my stomach with food and I'm still hungry. What's happening? Mm. There's no way I can eat any more food because I have reached the physical capacity of my stomach." This explains it. Yep. Full and starving. I was overdriving insulin. Yeah. I was unable to, to receive um, messages from my, from my body fat saying we've got plenty of fat. Yep. So this fully explains the paradox of somebody who has that extra 600 calories of body fat but is still hungry and they're lethargic. They don't want to do any exercise. Yep. Um, that explains the problem. That is the problem right there in a nutshell. Mm. So Robert Lustig, check his stuff out on YouTube. We'll link to it. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, Richard, it's time for... Mail! 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 Mail. You know, this is a very male-centric show. We ought to get some female in here someday. I think we need some female! (laughs) Female! Actually, we're working on that. We we're going to get some of the uh, the women's in our in our group to get together and take over our podcast for uh, a couple of episodes of Absolutely. of Girl Talk. Yeah. But for now, I have a message that came to our Facebook group, mm-hmm. which you can get to easily at fb.2keto.com. And this comes from Beverly, and she says, I need advice. I finally convinced my pre-diabetic husband to join in on the keto diet thanks to a road trip and playing the podcast. Awesome. Only one podcast episode and he was on board. Thanks, Carl Franklin and Richard Morris. You're welcome. Yeah, you're welcome. And he's been strict since Sunday, and this is Thursday, so that's been, you know, five days. Yeah. And pretty happy. Yesterday, he skipped breakfast, had a large lunch, and skipped dinner. He woke up at 4 a.m. in a panic attack cold sweats, and his blood sugar reading was 60. Mm. So that's 60 milligrams per deciliter. That's what we say in the United States. What does yeah. the rest of the world measure it in? That would be 3.3 millimoles per liter. So 
The US uh, standard measurement is a uh, mass measurement and the the non-US style, they're both metric. The non-US style is actually a concentration measurement. Okay. So Beverly goes on, he freaked and somehow found the little bit of sugar that was left in the house and ate it. Mm. He was hypoglycemic. I explained that it was transient and probably the keto flu, but he isn't convinced. His blood sugar was back up this morning, but his ketosis only registered 0.1. I think she means his ketones, right? Yes. His weight was up a little this morning too. I'm not on metformin, don't know how to guide him. Any advice? Is this normal? Is it scary? Yeah, well, it is scary. I... I've only ever had one hypo experience, and that was in 2005 when I was just diagnosed pre-diabetic. I was living in Las Vegas at the time, and that was the most scary experience. And when I first started on, when I was first diagnosed pre-diabetic, and I was given metformin, and uh, I was, I had explained to me what a hypoglycemic event was like, and it's basically you're shaky. And uh, you have trouble concentrating, and, and what is happening is that your brain is not getting enough energy, mm. and um, and so you carry around these little glucose pills, little dry glucose pills that you uh, um, eat, and they bring your blood sugar back up again yeah. very quickly. So um, most diabetics will have those uh, in their in their diabetic meter. I don't carry them anymore because uh, you know I don't have a problem with the yeah. hypoglycemia. Normally, when my blood sugars go down, my ketones are up. And right. uh, so my body's, my brain is getting enough energy through both sources. Yeah. Um, one of the problems is that at night time, uh, you, when you're sleeping, you, your blood sugars go low because it's it's in a low energy state. So, yeah. um, so that's also it, it, it's it's quite reasonable for his uh, his blood sugar to be that low. I've got to and admit, it wasn't that low. No, it, you know, seventy to ninety fasted is is normal. So he was only ten points low. Yeah. But I and and I would have Richard maybe tried a couple bites of an apple or something right. rather than a yeah straight sugar yeah just a little bit of apple might have been a good idea because it would just be enough just to get him a little bit of blood sugar temporarily transiently yeah um, enough to, enough to get to sleep and he would probably wake up with a high blood sugar because most of us do mm. yeah and of course the fiber slows it down so it would you know go slowly and last a little bit yeah. longer. Than just straight sugar shots. As soon as you're knocked out of ketosis, your blood sugar should go up again because this yep. is a homeostatic re- regulatory mechanism. Yep. I, it's always important when you start a diet to talk with your doctor and to explain to them what you're doing. And it yes. doesn't matter what kind of diet that you're doing or it doesn't matter what kind of exercise you're doing. Then again, I think you should talk to your doctor before you eat a Twinkie. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> Metformin, metformin's mechanism of action is not to lower your blood sugar; is to is to lower the amount that you make, yeah. uh, and it lowers it by about thirty percent. So, um, it, it's it's one of these drugs that a lot of the doctors who prescribe met, uh, ketogenic diets for people are quite happy for them to stay on metformin because it doesn't interfere with things. Some of mm. the other drugs that that remove blood sugar and cause you to pee it out so you know they, they lower the renal threshold for the sugar so that it, it uh, the, the kidneys are, are dragging more out and putting it in urine um, those will lower existing blood sugar and so oh. in those cases th- those doctors who put people on ketogenic diets what they will often do is they will lower the dose of that over time so but I would talk to my doctor about that kind of thing when starting a new diet but uh, I wouldn't now knowing what I know, I wouldn't have personally been worried about 60, but I would definitely uh, uh, recommend talking with your doctor about that uh, about that reaction. Good deal. Well, that's Beverly. You got uh, you got one, Richard? Yeah, I've got one from Osama, and he said, did my first 24-hour fast yesterday, and it was great. I could never have imagined myself not caring about food before. <laughs> before keto, I would be constantly thinking about my next meal or snack and never felt truly full. Yeah, mm. I know that experience, Osama. Yeah. So I'm thankful for the Two Keto Dudes podcast. You're welcome. Yep. I stumbled upon it via a comment on r slash keto on Reddit. Best find ever. (laughs) And he asks the question, how did you find out about the Two Keto Dudes podcast? Mm. Uh, And I – the way I found out was that Brenda told me, go and do a podcast. 
Yeah. Uh, uh, but Kylie said, uh, I heard about it on uh, Christine Cronow's Facebook page, so she's glad to have found it. We're glad to have you join us, Kylie. This is all on our Facebook group, uh, which yep. you can find at uh, fb.2kido.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, David mentions that he saw heard about it on the Simple Programmer podcast, yep. um, and John's a friend, about, a friend of the show's. Yep. Uh, Caitlin mentioned that a friend of hers started keto earlier this year, and when she discovered podcasts, it was the first thing she searched for and she found. Yeah, uh, and I've got to say thank you to everybody who's left uh, reviews on iTunes because yeah. that's how other people find out about our podcast. Yep. Um, so, you know, the, very much appreciate that um, because the more people that leave positive reviews or even negative reviews, just reviews on iTunes, the more that the iTunes search mechanism uh, prioritises our our show. That's right. Teresa said uh, that she saw it mentioned on Reddit as well um, Mm -hmm. and Gwyn heard about it on .NET Rocks, which is the other podcast that Carl does. Yep. One of the other podcasts. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, Carol says that she saw it on her Stitcher recommendations based on her other podcast habits. So Mm. uh, that's a non-iTunes way, so thank you very much. Mm -hmm. Uh, Kim, who's one of our mods, actually found us on iTunes by searching for the word keto. Cool. Uh, And, yeah, glad to have her on board. Uh, And uh, Dawn mentioned that uh, she was LCHF for a few months and then searched keto on podcast addict to help get more precise answers, and that's how she found us. Yeah. Um, and Vanessa mentioned that uh, she belonged to a couple of other keto groups on Facebook, and there was a thread on podcasts, and we were mentioned on there. Great. And Marcos Marcos mentions that he heard about it on .NET Rocks, Carl's other podcast. So yeah. that's awesome. Yeah, very good. It's it's just mm. amazing how these myriad of ways that people find us. Well, we'd like to welcome to Two Keto Dudes today uh, the star, the creator of the movie Fathead, Tom Naughton. Hi, Tom. Good morning. Good morning. And where are you in this world right now? I am in Franklin, Tennessee, which is, oh, 15, 20 miles south of Nashville. Okay. I'm out here in a rural area on a, living on a little hobby farm, and uh, I'm looking outside right now, and it's beautiful. That's awesome. Did your life change significantly after that movie came out? Yeah, it did. Uh, About the time it was coming out, we decided to leave California, which is uh, where I was living when I shot it, as you've you've probably noticed, the Mm -hmm. street interviews and in Hollywood and whatnot. Right. And it was, it actually, we didn't move because of anything in Fathead. We moved because my daughter had started kindergarten and suddenly I was facing the the reality of raising a kid in Los Angeles and yeah. thought, wow, I, I really think I don't want to do this. So we left. You mentioned this, I, maybe it was just in the director's cut, but you, at the end of Fathead, you said how you had moved and, you know, went to a farm and just started, you know, growing food and, and all of that. And that's, this is where you are now. That's where I am now. When we first left California, we moved uh, We moved here to Franklin, Tennessee. We rented uh, a house at first, so I was thinking, well, okay, I guess I'm going to do the suburban dad thing. And then my wife, and keep in mind, she was a, a city kid. She grew up just outside of Chicago. After we'd gotten there for a while, my wife said, I think I want land. I think I'd like to have chickens and gardens. And okay, let's give that a shot. So we bought this place, and here we are. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I uh, did something similar about ten years ago. I was uh, I was working on Wall Street doing credit risk analytics, and I was I uh, we went through September 11, and I thought I need to get away from this life of mine. <laughs> I went moved back to Australia, where I'm originally from, and I uh, bought a, a property on the beach, pretty much so that I could spend most of my time on the beach and just learned how to garden, learned how to do carpentry, uh, decided programming was not for me. And it took me about 10 years uh, before I decided, now, you know, I really love programming. There's a reason why I got into it in the first place. So I've, I've come back to do that and moved, moved back to the big smoke, which is uh, Canberra, capital city of Australia. But, yeah, so I did. I, I spent 10 years on the beach uh, uh, having a wonderful life, learning how to cook, learning how to grow my own food and, and we never had chickens, but we, we did get dogs, so that's a start. Well, I hope you didn't eat the dogs. 
<laughs> no, not so far. Oh, okay, good. Well, I, mean, I, I I'm still a programmer for a living, um, but I've really had to learn to do things I not only didn't know, things I didn't think I ever would want to know. I've gotten uh, to be quite adept with tools and such. Before we moved here, my tool collection looked very much like my dad's, meaning it was a screwdriver, a wrench, and a hammer. And uh, now I'm getting quite familiar with all the farm equipment and actually just loving it. I, I love going outside and working hard and getting hot and sweaty more than I ever thought I would. Mm, yeah. What is it about engineers and maybe programmers are just a small section of engineers, but it seems like it's the engineers that are looking at the problems that we've had with our health here uh, in the Western world and are the the first ones to say, you know, this is wrong. If anything is wrong in the engineering world, you fix it. You do an analysis and you fix it. And yet there seems to be less and less interest, or maybe there is more now, but there seems to be less interest on the part of the prof medical professionals to do this kind of work. What's up with that? I was, well, let me put it this way. I was very disappointed while I was making Fathead and educating myself on this stuff to realize how many doctors don't think like engineers. You know, we, I guess if you don't know better, you kind of think of doctors are somewhat in the same class as scientists. Yeah. And it really became obvious to me while doing research and discussing this stuff with doctors who do think like engineers, that an awful lot of doctors are just trained to look at your symptom and prescribe the drug. Yeah. Or the surgery. Mm. I think to answer your question, I think maybe the reason you're seeing a lot of engineers, um, kind of running ahead of where the medical profession should be on this. As an engineer, when something goes wrong, you don't patch it. You try to figure out what's causing it. Right. If I'm writing software and I'm getting a bad result at, at the end of a program, I don't write more code to switch that result to what I wanted it to be. <laughs> I go all the way back and try to figure out what's causing this bad result in the right. first place. And I think a lot of people with a, who are either engineers or have an engineer's mindset are more likely to say, wait a minute, why is my blood sugar high? Not here's your metformin to knock it down. Right. And a free license to eat your banana cream pie or whatever it else is that you continue to. Right. Right. Eat. Yes. Yeah. Eat your sugar, then take your drug. Right. <laughs> Well, it's, an, it's a great movie, and I watched it in the middle of a, a media binge that I went on a couple of weeks ago. I decided to go out and find all the low-carb, high-fat, or nutrition, you know, movies that were that people were suggesting. And I watched Supersize Me, of course, was one of the first ones. And then I watched Fathead afterwards. And I thought Super... I got kind of sucked in by Supersize Me. I was like, yeah, those those jerks, and, you know, they're pushing all this stuff, and... And of course, you know, in the back of my mind, I'm like, well, you know, like you said in Fathead, nobody's holding a gun to your head, making you buy the fries. And you demonstrated that in such a funny way, uh, had me rolling in stitches. But but I, but I, the thing that really got me when I was watching Supersize Me was the general practitioner who said, you know, you got to stop this diet. If I saw these liver numbers from an alcoholic, I'd understand. But I never thought, and this was a quote, I never thought I would see these numbers come from a high-fat diet. Yep. And that just made me irate. And there's what's wrong with the medical profession right there. Yeah. The, here's a doctor who is supposed to be trained in this stuff who thinks the fatty liver is coming from fat. Right. It's the sugar. Yes. It's fructose that makes for a fatty liver. And right there, uh, when Dr. Eads, uh, when I interviewed him for Fathead, he was just outraged by that. You know, he's saying, how can a guy go to medical school and not know a fatty liver is caused by excess sugar? Yep. And he obviously knew what bad liver numbers were. So he knew right. that much. And then, right. but then I just took a good look at him as a physical being. He didn't look uh -huh. all that healthy either. You know, it's uh, <clears throat> one of the real pleasures in life after you make something like Fathead is to go to a doctor and keep in mind, I've lost weight, I've muscled up, uh, you know, I'm not super lean and cut because that's not my body type, but mm. I'm, I'm in pretty good shape for a 57-year-old guy. Mm. 
One of the real pleasures is to go to a doctor who is clearly pasty, overweight, out of shape, and have him tell you you need to cut the fat out of your diet. Yeah, that's great. Because <laughs> your cholesterol's elevated at 205 or something. Yeah. And it's it's one of those where you say, you know what, I'm not going to say anything because this would turn into a four-hour-long debate. Yeah. And, and it's time to – you either change your doctor or you change your doctor, right? <laughs> yeah, or, or yes. <laughs> or you ignore your doctor. I mean, you, I, you know, this. Yeah. I get this question a lot from people. How do I convince my doctor – insert thought here. Mm -hmm. And the answer I give is uh, you won't because your average doctor, now there are exceptions, but your average doctor, you come in and say, no, 215 is not high cholesterol. Look right. at my HDL, whatever. The average doctor is going to think, oh, I've got some idiot who read some article on the internet who thinks he knows more than me. Exactly. And, and they're going to have that attitude. I'm the one who went to medical school. You didn't. Um, Yep. It's not worth starting that debate. You're not going to change their minds. And you don't want to completely tick off your doctor because you know what? Someday you may go in because you actually do have a condition that really, truly does need treatment by a doctor with drugs. And you probably want this doctor to basically like you. Mm. So yes. when, for example, my doctor tells me, oh, your cholesterol's a little high, uh, let's watch that. And in the meantime, cut down the fat in your diet, just nod your head and smile, and then don't do it. Yeah, I had the, a, a similar problem. Not my current doctor. My current doctor is awesome, and she listens to this podcast. So, <laughs> But my previous, my previous doctor, uh, my, my cholesterol went over 200 milligrams per deciliter, and that is apparently the arbitrary line at which point they start doling out the statins. And he basically put me on a statin, and I was pre-diabetic at the time. And you can look back at at how my body reacted to that statin. My LDL went down nicely, and everything else went to hell. Hmm. Um, and my uh, my glucose went. I, I basically became uh, type two diabetic. I my my triglycerides flew through the roof, and my HDL plummeted. You know, so um, you can see basically what happened. Now, I at the time I said to the doctor, "I'm not sure about this statin," and he said, "I really think you should because of where your LDL cholesterol was." And so I went on it, even though against my better judgment. And I think I probably would still do that. If if doctor said to me, I think you should take something. Well, I'm going to assume that that they have a good basis for doing that. But I'm going to I'm going to bring them in some science that disagrees that supports my position. And mm. that's something that Carl did. Uh, he he basically bought bought printed out uh, studies, re research studies, RCTs, and brought them into her his doctor and said, Can you do you disagree with this? And she said, No, I have to agree with you. Yeah. So I I think that. I think you can engage your doctor, but you're right. You definitely want your doctor liking you when it comes time to, to, to look after a serious ailment. Definitely. Um, it, the, the statin thing drives me up the wall. Um, I have a relative, I'm not going to mention any names, who had a stroke a while back. Um, he's type 2 diabetic. As a result of the stroke, he's having memory issues and, of course, muscle problems, trying to get back muscle function in the left side. Hmm. Meanwhile, the doctor checks the cholesterol and says, oh, the cholesterol's high, puts him on a statin. Now, we have a guy who is a type 2 diabetic. It's been demonstrated pretty conclusively that statins make diabetes worse. Yes. We have yeah. a guy who has already had muscle damage from a stroke. Statins cause muscle damage. Yeah. We have a guy who's having mem memory problems because of a stroke and statins cause memory problems. Right. He just put him on the worst possible drug for a man in his condition. Why? Because his numbers were somewhere over 200. It's insane. And the whole cholesterol heart disease link has been completely debunked now. Yeah. Completely yeah. debunked. It does not it is not a marker for heart disease. Exactly. It's like saying um, you're. we have to move you to a different zip code because people in your zip code have more heart attacks. <laughs> yeah. Or there's too many firemen at a fire. So if exactly. we want to prevent fires, we got to kill all the firemen. Exactly. So I've got a question. Um, 
the the Australian guidelines are all basically made up from the US guidelines, and I think that the South African ones are as well, and the New Zealand ones, and the English ones. It seems like most of the English speaking world has uh, their dietary guidelines pretty much uh, handed down on stone from the US dietary guidelines. And I have a real question as a as an Australian: Where did the US guidelines come from? How do we get them so wrong? As I often say to people, to err is human, but to screw up big time, you need politicians involved. (laughs) And the idea that fat causes heart disease, uh, that that was around and it had some momentum. Um, For those of you who haven't seen Fathead, the Reader's Digest version is that uh, there was this idea... It, it had actually been around for a hundred years, but uh, or for fifty years at the time. But a, a scientist named Ansel Keys really promoted the idea that heart disease is caused by eating too much fat. That it's the fat that raises the cholesterol, and then the cholesterol builds up in your arteries, and that causes heart disease. When that idea first came around, and when he first started promoting it, it was almost uniformly rejected by the scientific community. Uh, but then. Over time, Keyes, who apparently had an extremely headstrong personality, managed to get himself on the board and eventually sort of take over the American Heart Association. Yep. They began promoting the idea somewhere in the 1960s um, that everything should be low fat. But even so, really, most people were not jumping on that bandwagon until the U.S. government, in a series of hearings um, led by George McGovern, decided it was time for them to step in and tell people what to eat. And what eventually came out of that were the U.S. dietary guidelines, which called for low fat, low cholesterol. And and this is the part that blows my mind. Six to 11 servings of grains per day is the basis of your diet. Mm-hmm. Now, why the rest of the world decided to jump on that bandwagon, I don't know. I, I you know, would hope that at some point follow the money. in Australia – yeah, follow the money. All of you in Australia and elsewhere would, would learn um, there are certain times you really don't want to be like us. Yeah. <laughs> and, the, the, you know, you this is typical of what you do in Fathead. You know, it's like, I wonder why this happens. And then there's a little shot of you under a bridge somewhere going, follow the money. The money. <laughs> yes. But isn't it true, though? I mean, there's so much money to be made from grains, and we were yes. booming agriculturally. And it just seemed like, oh, okay, our health, supposedly our health uh, incentives align with our economic incentives. Let's just do a one-two punch and everybody wins. Well, and here's part of the irony of it. Um, as I read in Gary Taubes' book, Good Calories, Bad Calories, mm. the, the uh, young know-it-alls on McGovern's staff assumed that when certain doctors – and well, quite a few doctors and researchers at the hearings – tried to say, you've got it wrong. There's no evidence that it's fat that causes heart disease. There's no evidence that eating cholesterol causes heart disease. They just assumed that those researchers and and, uh, doctors had been bought off by the meat and dairy industries. Right. It never occurred to them that what they were about to recommend was a huge, beyond huge gift to the grain industry. Right. And if you really look um, and who the if you really look at who the powerful corporations are in America it's grain it's grain it's cargill it's archer daniels midland General and this Mills. was a ginormous gift to them yes yes indeed well um i i have a little surprise for you but first i just have to thank you for fathead pizza on behalf of everybody who listens to our podcast and low carvers <laughs> everywhere that is the most brilliant thing ever invented. How did that happen? I am going to have to jump in and give my disclaimer here because people all over the, the world apparently are now calling it Fathead Pizza. Ladies and gentlemen, I did not create it. <laughs> I had nothing to do with it except posting it on my blog. Oh, That was a recipe that my uh, nephew discovered and tweaked ever so slightly. Yeah. And he emailed me and said, I made this. It's awesome. It tastes like real pizza crust. There's virtually no carbs. 
I said, great, let's post it on the, the blog. People love a good recipe. So right. I didn't even write the post. He wrote the <laughs> post. He took the pictures. He put it on the blog for me. And next thing I know, this thing's all over creation being called the fathead pizza. And people are like, Tom Norton's a genius with this fathead pizza. I had nothing to do with it. I just had my nephew post the recipe. And what's your nephew's name? Let's give him props. Uh, Eric. Shout out to Eric. Shout out to Eric. Maybe we'll call it Eric's Head Pizza. I actually, I actually made a variant of this by omitting the egg and cooking it on a pizza stone rather than a cold cookie sheet. And it, and I actually cooked it in a friend of mine's brick oven who has a pizzeria, and it turned out to be amazingly awesome, better than the original. And now there's a bunch of people sort of using that variant, but but I see variants of it everywhere. But the whole the basic recipe of cheese and almond flour is just amazing. I'm, I'm going to have to try that without the egg. Yeah. So, Tom Naughton, we have a little surprise for you. You became an expert in low-carb, high-fat living, and you also became sort of an expert in McDonald's because you ate there a lot. But we want to know how much you really know about McDonald's. So, we're giving you a little McDonald's quiz. Uh-oh, I feel like I'm on This Is Your Life. <laughs> Let's see how you do. There's 10 questions. The first one, the McDonald brothers originally got into the fast food business selling which tasty items? A, hamburgers, B, hot dogs, or C, milkshakes? I believe it was milkshakes. Hot dogs. <laughs> okay. Wow. Long before the Big Mac, there was the McDog. Dick and Mac McDonald opened a hot dog stand in Arcadia, California in 1937. All right. So question two. Which has been on the McDonald's menu the longest? A, frozen fries, B, fillet of fish, or C, the Big Mac? I don't think it was the Big Mac because I'm pretty sure I'm old enough to remember when that came out. So I am going to say filet of fish Yes, the filet of fish has been hooking hungry customers since 1962. Cincinnati franchise owner Lou Groen invented it to appeal to Catholic clientele who abstained from eating meat on Fridays. And as a... Uh Young man who was raised Catholic, I believe I ate a few of those on I'm Fridays. sure you did. Okay, here's one. Uh, what actor originally played Ronald McDonald? Is it A, Monty Hall, B, Wilford Brimley, or C, Willard Scott? Willard Scott. Yes, correct. Having previously performed as Bozo the Clown, Willard Scott was a shoe-in for Ronald McDonald. Okay, and the fourth question what anti-McDonald's publication did the company challenge in the famous McLibel case? A, anti-McDonald's pamphlets from Greenpeace, B, Fast Food Nation, or C, Supersize Me? I don't think they went after Supersize Me. And I know there were, they did have issues with Fast Food Nation. So what the heck? I'm probably wrong, but I'm going to say Greenpeace. Yes, correct. <laughs> Although McDonald's has paid out millions for coffee burns and beef-flavoured fries, it didn't back down in its libel suit against Greenpeace. The longest trial in England's history ruled in favour of the fast food giant. So the next question is, which of the following McDonald's menu items is the most popular? A, Happy Meal, B, Egg McMuffin, or C, Chicken McNuggets? Chicken McNuggets. It's the Happy Meal. The Happy I Meal. They sold more chicken McNuggets than anything. Well, maybe this is an old quiz, but <laughs> the Happy Meal has become a dietary rite of passage for many kids across the globe. About twenty percent of all McDonald's orders are for Happy Meals. By the way, did you know that Happy Meals came with Fitbits in them that are now being removed? No, I just. I just saw this. How do you put a Fitbit in a Happy Meal? That's like a $100 watch. Yeah, I don't know if it was a Fitbit, but it was a, a fitness tracker. So this is a story that I read on WebMD, which is irony in and of itself. McDonald's pulls fitness trackers from Happy Meals August 18th, 2016. Reports of skin irritations have led McDonald's to remove fitness trackers from Happy Meals. Quote, we have taken this swift and voluntary step after receiving limited reports of potential skin irritations that may be associated from wearing the band, company spokeswoman Terry Hickey said in the statement to CNN. 
Oh, okay. Yikes. I think they were accelerometer um, pedometers, so uh, uh, it doesn't doesn't take much to build one of those LCD screen. And yeah, some people have nickel allergies, which is, I don't mm. know, a weird thing. Can't wear watches or okay. whatever. I don't know. This is some pretty good advertising for McDonald's this quiz. Yeah, of course. <laughs> we, should to- we should totally uh, hit them up to sponsor the show. Oh, that would be awesome, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. How- I got so many emails, uh, outraged emails from people who were absolutely convinced that McDonald's paid for paid me to make Fathead. Yeah. And here's the really fun part. I would occasionally, within the same email, get the following criticisms. McDonald's obviously paid you to do this. And later in the email, your production values look really cheap. <laughs> Put those two thoughts together, genius. Yeah, right. McDonald's gave <laughs> me millions of dollars to make a cheap-looking movie. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> Incredible. So – I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna give you number six. This question is what McDonald's dud is now known as the McFlopper? And the answers are A, the McPizza, uh. B, the Arch Deluxe, or C, the McLean Deluxe. I know the McLean was a was a the Edsel of fast food, <laughs> so I'm gonna go with that. Correct. Although all of these ventures failed miserably, the McLean Deluxe takes the cake, er, bun. Uh, comprised of beef and seaweed, the, the low-fat sandwich tasted about as bad as it sounds. Which is a interesting that that failed so spectacularly. And by the way, so did Taco Bell's Border Lights menu, which was low-fat. Yeah. Newsflash, people. Human beings are not supposed to live on low-fat diets. When you try to eat low-fat food and your brain says, bleh. <laughs> There's a reason. That's right. Exactly. All right. Question seven. If you're traveling abroad, what food might you find on an international McDonald's menu? A, lo mein, B, gazpacho, or C, sushi? Well, I did go to Europe for my vacation. Strangely, we never wandered into a McDonald's. Um, <laughs> Had enough so of that. So this is, this is just totally a guess. I'm going to say sushi. It's gazpacho. McSushi wow. could work, but gazpacho, made by PepsiCo, pops up on some menus in Spain. All right. I, I picked sushi as well. I thought, yeah. I thought for sure McSushi would have been a thing. Yeah, I got to admit, I like going to McDonald's uh, restaurants in, when I'm in Europe because uh, it's one of the few places where you know that you're not going to get charged to go to the toilet and you can sit down and you pay the same price for sitting down and eating their food as you do standing at the bar and eating their food. So, mm. uh, yeah, I quite like I quite like McDonald's. But, yeah, I toss the bun I, I when I have McDonald's these days. What's interesting, though, is you said in Fathead, I bet you think I'm going to eat salads, right? That's mm-hmm. how I'm going to do it. Well, this is a double quarter pounder with cheese and just took a big bite of it. So, yeah, I mean, even though there's high fructose corn syrup in the bun and there is obviously wheat, um, you were able to keep your carbs under 100 grams a day, which was really all about fries and sodas. Yeah, I was cutting the fries and sodas and I did have... Usually, I would eat at least one hamburger bun a day, sometimes two. Yeah. Uh, occasionally, I would look at where my carb count was for the day and and say, well, okay, I'm going to have this double quarter pounder with cheese, and I'm going to throw off the top bun or whatever. Right. But of course, nowadays, uh, this I made Fathead long before Wheat Belly came out. Yeah. And now, I go to McDonald's or wherever. I don't actually go to McDonald's that often. But when I do, it's like, no, there's no half bun. Yeah. No. One bun per day. It's just uh, no ixnay on the bun. I bring my own oopsie bread, which you know we make uh, from eggs and cream cheese. Right. And I bring those, and I, I usually get if I'm going to go to McDonald's, I'll get two triple cheeseburgers with extra cheese. Throw the buns, put them together on oopsie bread. Now I've got this Dagwood kind of enormous <laughs> monster that I can barely finish. So uh, the next question is number eight. Uh, McDonald's committed a major cultural faux pas. By offering what item? The first is the McWoman. The second is the McMuslim. And the third is the McAfrica. Oh, geez. <laughs> Any one of these would be horrible. Yeah, they're all they're all bad. I guess then they rejected the uh, what the McJew, the McMick. Um, 
Okay. Uh, I have absolutely zero idea on that one. So let's just go with the McWoman. It's actually the McAfrica. Uh, the McAfrica sandwich was released in Norway in 2002 during an African famine. It consisted of beef, veggies, pita, and a heaping helping of controversy. Oh, my gosh. It's actually a true story that Burger King actually have an Australian burger or an Aussie burger uh, in Australia and a Kiwi burger in New Zealand, and they're identical. <laughs> Yeah. Okay, question nine. From 2003 to 2007, McDonald's purchased 59% more of which popular ingredient? A, chicken, B, lettuce, or C, potatoes? From 23 to 2007, 59% more of chicken, lettuce, or potatoes? Oh, let's let's just go with potatoes because of the uh, supersized price. Well, actually, it was chicken. <laughs> Why did the chicken cross the road to hop into a McDonald's fryer? Although they don't say whether it was chicken for McNuggets or chicken for salads. I'm kind of betting it was salads. Cause the is chicken in McNuggets? Rumor has it that there <laughs> there is some chicken in the chicken McNuggets. And no, actually, they uh, they reformulated their, their recipe um, so that it's not... Itty bitty chicken parts mashed yeah. together. They actually use real chicken now. They're they're quite big on that. I'm sure you've noticed McDonald's and uh, a lot of other big food corporations are really responding to the whole real food paleo movement as best they can. Oh, sure they are. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we have this thing in Australia in McDonald's restaurants where they try out new ideas before bringing them to the rest of the world. So the whole McCafe idea came in. First in Australia, where they have an, basically an espresso bar down one end of the McDonald's. Yeah. Um, but we we have a new thing now where they have a giant touch screen, and you can build your own burger, and you can have a burger with no buns, with just lettuce. You can have, um, you know, three patties, three Angus patties. You can have no special sauce, just have mayo, three different kinds of cheeses, four different kinds of bacon, and build yourself a, an absolutely awesome A burger. McFrankenstein. Basically. So I don't know if that's it. I think they've got, they're bringing those in in New York now. I don't know if they're moving to the rest of, of the US, but that is an outstanding way to order McDonald's. Oh, I would be dangerous at one of those things. <laughs> yeah. All the ingredients, I would just be, oh, yeah, bacon. Let's see, give me four servings of that. Right. Give me five <laughs> kinds of cheese. Uh, give me six burger patties. Yeah. I would walk out of there with a burger I could barely lift. <laughs> <laughs> well, I highly recommend it, I must say. So the last question is, who was the original McDonald's mascot? And our options are A, Hot Dog Henry, B, Flippo, or C, Speedy? No idea, but since uh – Hot dog was the correct answer earlier. I'll just jump in and say hot dog, Henry. Yeah, I would have said the same, but unfortunately, it's speedy. The McDonald's brothers named their kitchen efficiency method the speedy system, with a hamburger-headed chef as the mascot. And perhaps Hamburger knows of the late speedy's whereabouts. <laughs> so what I what I get about fifty percent right? Yeah, I think you got uh, five out of ten. So that's 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 a passing grade. Yeah, <laughs> barely. And we'd like to thank money.howstuffworks.com for putting this quiz online. We'll add a link to it just so that you don't think we're ripping them off completely, <laughs> which we are. <laughs> Tom, before we say goodbye, uh, is it, can you tell us what you're working on these days? Is there anything up and coming that we should be aware of? Sure. My wife and I are, I hope nearing the end of producing a book uh, tentatively titled Fathead Kids. Stuff about diet and health I wish I knew when I was your age. Oh, awesome. Basically, I've taken the the uh, the knowledge that I have now as a man in his 50s and said, now, if I'd known all this when I was 10, my life would have been different. And it wouldn't have because I wouldn't have gotten fat. I wouldn't have developed the boy boobs. I probably would have had bigger <laughs> muscles uh, and probably would have dated more pretty girls. Um, yeah. But, of course, I ended up marrying an awesome girl. But yeah, yeah. It's basically just taking what we know about how diet affects health, especially the difference between real food and processed food, and yeah. explaining it to kids in a fun, cartoony, semi-comical way. That's so great. I, my kids need that badly. 
Yeah. And everybody's, don't they? Well, and it's, uh, it's funny, I've mentioned this to a couple of uh, doctors like Dr. Westman, for example, told him about it. And I, I believe it was Dr. Westman who said, great, if you can explain it at the kid level, there are some doctors out there who will finally understand it. <laughs> yeah, you're so right. <laughs> so it's not it's not strictly for kids. I sincerely hope adults find it amusing. But uh, one of the real pleasant surprises after Fathead went to Netflix and found a really big audience was the number of parents who told me that their kids really liked it would surprise me. But I guess, you know, if you make things kind of fun and entertaining, kids will pay attention. And boy, we've got to get them paying attention oh to how diet affects their health. Uh, so, yeah, maybe maybe if you come to uh, Keto Fest next year, we could do a showing. I think that would be awesome. All right. Well, Tom Naughton, thank you so much for joining us and for making the movie and continuing to be a, a great voice for the low-carb, high-fat movement. Uh, your blog is spectacular. Your posts are hilarious and sad and informative all at the same time. Thanks very much. I appreciate you having me on. It was a lot of fun. All right. Wow, that conversation with Tom made me hungry for a Big Mac, let me tell you. Yeah, I could, I could actually, I could murder a, big, a fathead pizza about now. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. It's a, it's not a fathead pizza, according to Tom. It's, it's a uh, Eric's head pizza. Eric's isn't it? head pizza. Yeah. Well, let's talk about food. It's time for recipes. 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 <laughs> recipes. recipes. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, we're actually not going to talk about food this time, are we? We're talking about drinks. No, we're both going to talk about drinks. I'm going to talk about the drink that I drink during my fasts. Uh, it's my Keto Aid, and I also drink it when I'm riding on the bike, when I'm doing my 100K bike ride. Um, and it's similar to Gatorade, but of course no sugar. And it's very easy to make. I start off with uh, seltzer uh, or soda water in Australia, and I've got a soda stream, so it's very easy to make, make that. Just uh, fill a litre bottle up with water and uh, put it in the soda stream, and it comes out. Carbonated. Carbonated. Yeah. And to that, I add five grams of potassium citrate powder. And as soon as that powder goes in the carbonated water, of course, volcano. Fizz. <laughs> fizz. Uh, so it cuts a little bit of the fizz down. Then I, I also <laughs> add two teaspoons of light salt. Now, light salt is a combination of sodium chloride and potassium chloride yeah. in a 50-50 mix. So, um, so basically what I'm doing is I'm creating an electrolyte replenishment. Yeah, and in in water, and uh, to that I squirt a little bit of uh, sugar free sweetener, and that's my keto aid. And I I will have that sitting on my desk when I'm working when I'm fasting. Sometimes I find when I have a craving for savory food, I'll try just drink some keto aid, and the salt is was what I was really craving. Yeah, interesting. I'm craving some savory food, but what I'm really my body's really saying is get me some something salty. So, so that's my recipe. Yeah, that's a great one. I also have a keto aid. We 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 all seem to have some version of this because we need the electrolytes mm. when fasting. But I find that not fasting is a good time to drink it as well, just because it's so satisfying and you know getting those electrolytes is really important. Yeah. What I do with my keto aid is I make a combination of um, sweetener that is my sweetener is xylitol, and I sort of melt mm. that down and dissolve it in water. And then I add some apple cider vinegar. I add the mm -hmm. light salt that you do. And I also yeah. add a little magnesium citrate, which they sell as a laxative solution. Okay. But the dosage for that is like half a bottle. It's crazy. Wow. I, I I'm just to find some of that because that sounds that uh, I, I'm, I am lacking magnesium in, in that drink. So, yeah. Yeah. So I just put a couple of tablespoons of that. Now, this is my concentrate, right? And I yeah. also put some apple cider vinegar and I put some grape flavor which i will link to i buy this grape flavoring and it's mm. of course tastes like fake grape you know it's like grape yeah. soda grape but i kind of yeah. just like having that little splash of fruitiness in there mm. and i mix all of that up and i put it in the fridge and anytime i want one of these i just pull out a glass maybe a tablespoon or two of that and mix it all up and uh it's yummy nice but that's not actually my recipe no, really? So do you remember back at the beginning of the show, I was talking about wine and how I'm now suspecting wine as being a little bit evil in terms of yeah. keeping my 
uh, insulin high. I just got my insulin measured and it went up. It's 17.8. And you were 14 before, weren't you? Yeah, I was 14 before. And I, and I was 14 before I started, you know, drinking wine pretty much daily. And I don't know that that's it, but I just have a hunch, you know, so I'm testing it. I'm cutting out wine for a while. So do you reckon it's the alcohol or the sugar? I think it's the sugar. I mean, alcohol is just a pausing of ketosis and it lowers blood sugar by itself, but Mm. it, but it's the, you know, the 3.8 grams of carbs per glass of wine. Maybe I pour a bigger glass than most people. Maybe Mm. I have more than I probably should. But, you know, if you think about it, that's 16, 18 grams of carbs just at the end of the day that probably aren't doing me any good. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I've created a new cocktail. Okay. And this cocktail is seltzer water, which, Mm. you know, is club soda or I use a flavored seltzer. Okay. Yep. So it's got a little, little fruit flavor to it. And I add a teaspoon of apple cider vinegar and we're going to do a whole show on apple cider vinegar, I think, because mm. there's there's something to this. And I'm not going to go into it here. Um, we don't know if the science was funded by the apple cider vinegar people or not, but acetic acid, which is the main ingredient, the active yeah. ingredient in apple cider vinegar and in all vinegars, is you were saying it's it's a short chain fatty acid. It's fat. It is. It is. Not a lot of people know this, but it's a carboxylic acid, just like butyric acid and lauric acid. It's, it's a saturated mm. fat. Interesting. <laughs> I don't think of saturated fat when I think of uh, apple cider vinegar, but it yeah. but it does tend to have this effect on people. It uh, lowers hunger and insulin sure. and blood sugar. It's, it's it's energy. So you know if it, and it. it because it's a short chain fatty acid, it goes straight from the gut straight to your liver, straight to be processed into ketones. So, mm. you know, or straight to be processed for energy, uh, of which some may may spill into ketones. So, right. it's, it's awesome. And so I have the apple cider vinegar, and then I just pour a shot of whatever. I was using um, Angel's Envy Rye, which has this wonderful mapley, caramely flavor mm. to it that's just really good and, and fit really well with it. But uh, I ran out of that, so I'm just using uh, bourbon or some rum or whatever I can find. Yeah, maybe, you know, vodka would be sort of the purest, cleanest form, I suppose, but uh, who knows? Need ethanol, I, maybe. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, it's why I just pour some gasoline in there, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, I, and I am also cutting that down to, you know, one or two of those in the evening. Mm. And uh, I've done this for a few days and it seems to be working. I'm a lot less hungry. I mean, I never was really, really hungry, but I'm less peckish. Mm. And uh, I, you know, the weight's coming off. So I'm nice. hopeful that it will yeah. continue. And you have some to donate. So that's awesome. Yes, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Richard, that's a show. A good show. We'd like to thank Tom Naughton for stopping by and fattening our heads. Absolutely. If you have anything that you want to tell us, something we said wrong, something you don't agree with, or some more research that you found to support or even refute what we've said, send it by email to dudes at 2ketodudes.com or post it on our website or tell us about it in our Facebook forum. That's right. That's at fb.2keto.com. You can follow us on Twitter at 2KetoDudes and also on Instagram at 2KetoDudes. And gee, I think that's just about all the ways that you can contact us. Great show, Carl. Until next week. Until next week. Keep calm and keto on. Keep calm and keto on. And we'll see you next time on 2KetoDudes. Keto